listening to PetLifeRadio.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Showtime. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shudry, and today we're talking about feral cats. Look out, here's my rant of the week. October 16 is National Feral Cat Day. But when I mention that to otherwise savvy cat folks, they sometimes think I'm talking about strays. Now certainly, stray cats are a problem in this country, and my own special feline, Serendipity, was a stray kitten I adopted. She snuggled into my arms and my heart right from the start, and it literally hurts my heart to think of all those other homeless cats lurking in the dark alleyways of our cities and our countrysides. Most don't find homes, and, well, frankly, these cats don't want homes, and they aren't actually strays. Feral cats prefer life on the wild side, and they become nuisances. And they get on the wrong side of city officials eager to correct the feral mess with quick fixes. In too many rural communities, those fixes include shotguns, poison. Now, listen, I hope that thought gets your tail in a twist the way it does mine. My guest today, Becky Robinson, is president and co-founder of Alley Cat Allies, the nation's only advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and humane treatment of cats. Today, with more than 170,000 supporters all over the world, Alley Cat Allies is the recognized authority on feral cats. So settle down with your favorite felines, folks, and we'll be right back with Becky Robinson to learn all about the ins and outs of ferals after these messages from our sponsor. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Pick up something unique at a Bone to Pick dog boutique. A Bone to Pick has cool hip fashions for big and small dogs that will have their tails wagging in style. Cat products too. A-B-O-N-E-T-O-P-I-C-K.com. Check out our eco-friendly pet products and gifts for humans too. A-B-O-N-E-T-O-P-I-C-K.com. Get your pet's mouth watering monthly with our Gourmet Treat of the Month Club. And join a Bone to Pick's free birthday club for your puppy. A-B-O-N-E. Dash to dash P-I-C-K dot com. Pick up something special for your best friend at a bone to pick. A-B-O-N-E dash T-O dash P-I-C-K dot com. Get 10% off with coupon code PETLIFE. Do you love your dog? Then you'll love feeding him mouthwatering all-natural treats. Lovingly handmade by a professional caterer who wanted the very best for her dogs. Make no mistake about it. These are not ordinary dog treats. These are doggy delights, like breakfast banana biscotti, honey bear peanut butter balls, yummy apple cinnamon mini cakes, and so much more. 
your dog will howl in delight. And now you can get a scrumptious sample pack by going to dingersdogtreats.com. It's a $25 value, yours for just $9.95 through this special radio offer. That's D-I-N-G-E-R-S, dingersdogtreats.com. Every one of these gourmet doggy treats is handmade from the finest ingredients and taste tested on our own dogs. Your dog will love them. Get $25 worth of doggy delights now for just $9.95. Go to dingersdogtreats.com now. That's D-I-N-G-E-R-S, dingersdogtreats.com. Yum. Pets can be a wonderful addition to your life. Keeping them healthy and happy is important. Pet Life Radio presents The Pet Doctor with veterinary media consultant and veterinarian Dr. Bernadine Cruz. Whether you have a dog, cat, reptile, or rabbit, you'll find answers for your pets straight from the vets. The Pet Doctor, on demand every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. We're talking about feral cats with Becky Robinson of Alley Cat Allies. Welcome to the show, Becky. Thanks, Amy. Glad to be here. What I like to do with guests, just for our, our listeners out there, is to let you tell a little about yourself uh, and, and your special critters. What cats and, oh golly, do you have dogs too? What animals share your life? Well, I, I have to tell you that the cats share my life. I certainly have done my share of rescuing dogs, and I, I adore dogs. And our office, Alley Cat Allies, we started in 1990, so we've been around for almost two decades. And we have an office. We're a national advocacy. We formed, actually, you know, in Washington, D.C., but as a national organization. So we have supporters all over the country and programs all over the country and an office of more than 20 people. And I can tell you that Six cats share our office, as well as two dogs that come in regularly. And you can imagine the dogs um, think they boss the cats around, but you know darn good and well the cats boss the dogs around. So we're our organization. Really, the catalyst, if you will, was a colony of cats. And I just I knew about cats. My family started a humane society. I was always around animals. Um, you know, I have told people that, and, and those that know me, is for the, from the time that I could walk, from the time that I could be aware of walking on my own and following my parents around and my aunt, who was the founder of Humane Society, I was helping. I was improving the lives of animals, and I was helping them, and, and even being lifted over fences to untangle dogs that were wrapped around it, their chains around the tree. So my whole life has been around animals. And so it was really not a surprise when I was in Washington, D.C., minding my own business on a Saturday night and saw a colony of cats. Now, that's what feral cats live in. You know, they, people know of dog packs. Well, a cat group is called a colony. And we wanted to help the cats. They were actually very healthy. And that's something that might be that your, your listeners should know. I think that there is kind of an image of stray cats, 
Right. They're sickly and, and they're homeless. And so, so certainly there are cats that need our help, meaning that they need a home again. They need to be rescued. But in the case of these cats that we saw in this alley, they were home and they were very healthy. They certainly had litters of kittens and we wanted to see how we could get them into a veterinarian so they could be, we knew about spay and neuter and we knew about vaccinations. And so we didn't know about ear tipping. That's part of the process when you get them trapped. And we knew about humane box traps. And some of your listeners may have trapped a cat, but those that haven't, it's very safe. And that's what we wanted to teach people. After we went through the whole process of helping this colony, and they were all spayed and neutered, and they were vaccinated, I socialized kittens. I brought that they were tuxedo, black and white kitties, gorgeous. And I socialized them, and other people helped us. And we found them homes, and I still hear from those people. And the cats can then go on and live out their lives. Their lives are improved. They are not fighting over mates. They're not constantly pregnant, so they're not enduring the pregnancy a couple times or more a year. And these cats lived out their lives. The other thing is, is that isn't there something in people's heads, Amy, that they live short lives? Well, these Absolutely. cats, live, they live to be almost 20 years old, 19 years old. Wow. Well, and I think, Becky, also you make a good point there. A lot of people have this idea that cats are these independent creatures that live solitary lives. And as you say, in a natural setting, they will congregate around food and shelter and band together. These mama cats will band together to raise communally kittens, but they are not pets. These are not pet cats that you can These kind are of not lab around. cats. Yeah. These are not lab cats, right. And I think that we commissioned a national survey from Harris, and from that, we've learned a number of things, one of which is 22% of adults are feeding stray and feral cats. They've put out food or water. 22%? Wow. And in fact, almost half of the people surveyed have actually fed a stray or feral cat at some point in their life as an adult. So it's important that probably those that are listening to your program and obviously care about animals and have their own animals that they share their lives with, they have probably put out food for a cat or they may even be feeding a cat right now. And it may be that they don't know the difference between a stray and feral. Probably if they've been feeding the cat for a while, they've figured it out just by, you know, it's just like something that you just figure out. But Australia is one that's going to be vocal, that's been around humans, not necessarily scared, although not always. I have actually trapped cats who then once they're trapped, they're very vocal inside the humane box trap, and I have figured out that they were once somebody's pet. So because the, because the social, the, the stray cat, the social cats tend to vocalize to people, not so much to each other. Is that the case? That's, that's right. If it's a feral cat, they're going to be very, very scared, very fearful, and very frightened. In, and that doesn't mean that a stray cat won't be very fearful in a trap and bounce around. But at some point, most of the stray cats have usually then been vocalizing to me and have come up to the edge of the wires to the trap and stuck their paw or nose out in, in a friendly manner, like, you know, in, in a way that they're communicating with me. So that means they're used to humans. A feral cat is not going to do that. Now, that doesn't mean that over time a stray cat might be so fearful. They actually revert to being feral. Now, some of your listeners might be thinking, okay, so this is a different kind of a species. They are not. They are the same species. They are domestic cats. All of the cats you see, whether they are unsocialized to you, you or if they're on your lap and sleep with you, they are, the, they are domestic cat species. And they're all protected by law. All, every single state 
all 50 states and the District of Columbia have laws that protect the domestic cats. So these cats are just simply unsocialized to humans, as you said. They're socialized. They're very bonded with each other. They are very attached, and we have lots. We have a lot of photos on our website, by the way, alleycat.org, that shows the cats together in a group, the bond that they have with each other. And that's very important. You probably have, if you have more than one cat at home, you know that typically, not always, I've often had two cats together that were not real buddies, but I have... Um, right now, two male cats that are so bonded that that can hear them crying from one end of the house to the other looking for each other. <laughs> right, right. And you'll have problems when one becomes ill and they're separated. They, uh, That's oftentimes, right. the veterinary clinics now will recommend, well, listen, bring in the buddy cat because this one's not going to recover unless he can see, you know, the, his buddy there helping and supporting him. So what is it with, with feral cats? People need to understand these, these are cats that have missed that prime socialization period when they're, when they're babies. They don't recognize humans as safe people and they act like Basically, wild animals. These are cats that that live and breed and grow up in a wild environment, and you know they might may as well be um, you know a little wild cat out there. Yeah, and and I think that certainly their behavior is something that people need to recognize and appreciate and understand. You know, the, the domestic cat has been living around humans in and around our quarters for 10,000 years. We, this is even new research that you're certainly aware of, Amy, and I imagine you've talked to your listeners about the fact that we used to think it was four to 5,000 years that they were domesticated, right. and now we know it's twice that. So we have cats all over this country and, of course, all over the world, and they, they can live out their lives in, um, in these groups. They can live out their lives just fine, and if they are living around us, whether it's in a suburban area, an urban area, they can very much benefit from the, the um, methodology that's known as trap, neuter, and return. And that's why we started National Feral Cat Day. Um, people can go to our website, alleycat.org slash NFCD, and there are hundreds of groups now. There's, in the United States in the past 20 years, 200 feral cat groups have organized people that have their own organizations in virtually every state and National Feral Cat Day is a time for people, as you said, to learn what is a feral cat and what do they need because the number one documented cause of death to these cats is not what a lot of people might be thinking like what happens to them on the outside. Um, What happens is that people think that that cat's going to benefit from going into a shelter and 70% of all cats that enter shelters, our nation's animal pounds and shelters are killed there. So right. in, the case of, in the case of feral cats, they're not considered candidates for adoption. So they're not going to be adopted. They are going to be killed. So virtually 100% of feral cats are killed in shelters. So this is a day for, for people, a National Feral Cat Day, to partake in these, to, to learn about feral cats, to learn about what these cats need, trap need a return, how that's carried out. They might um, find out through our website. There's an event in their area. There are um, fundraisers. There are spay-neuter clinics where people can volunteer to help with the spay neuter clinics. Obviously, you have to be a veterinarian to conduct the surgery, but there's all kinds of other things that are surrounding that day that you can 
you know, clean the traps out and you can, can help, you know, recover the cats. You know, there's lots of lay persons that help with the back end of this after the cats have been spayed. And then they recover after 24 to 48 hours and they are returned to their habitat, returned to their home, which is their colony site. And, you know, wherever anybody is, there's probably something going on in your area. Well, something I wanted to address too, Becky, is the uh, the problems that are caused by ferals. Well, I mean, there are people out there that are not necessarily fans of feral cats. They, I mean, they cause when they're mating, they cause they cause noise. They may carry disease to our our lap kitties. You know, if they get out, there's predation of birds is a big complaint. And I, I wanted to address these and have you answer: Are these really problems caused by ferals, or is this something that we can we can address? as caretakers. Well, now that we have had programs, not only Alley Cat Allies has conducted programs all over the country, but there are, as I said, 200 or other organizations that are helping feral cats in their particular region. And there have been studies on feral cats now compared to house cats. And in one of those studies, we now know that in the, in one of the things that comes up often is feline leukemia and FIV, right. you know, the feline immune deficiency virus. These are two viruses. They're common now, commonly known of, but they're not common to cats. In fact, the, the rate of, um, and there's, there's two different studies out and the rate is, is, um, the different studies have shown from 3% to 6% in cats. And that percentage and that rate of cats, it carries over to the same ratio of feral cats. And so the concern, and in fact, Amy, it's important for people to understand that um, the testing process often um, turns up false positives. But in these St. clinics, they have found that it's not necessary. The protocol when you're taking these cats in and, and many of these spay-neuter clinics are treating, are seeing 100 to 200 cats in one day. There are specialized veterinarians that do speed spays, and they are not conducting the test known as the FELV and FIV test. They're not conducting that because they found that it's so low and that actually what happens is, back to your point of what is it that happens to these cats before and after the neutering. Everybody knows how important spay and neuter is. Well, it's just important to feral cats. So when you are introducing spay and neuter and you're doing it at a high volume, then those cats are not mating, so they're not, repro- they're not carrying out the virus through the litters, so right. they're not reproducing kittens, and they're not fighting over mates, and so they're not you know, spreading the virus through the, the bite wounds. But more importantly, if that is a benefit to the cats. That's very important, but at the same time, what happens is those cats become better neighbors. The people living around them are then saying, you know what, we don't have the kittens because that is how a lot of the phone calls, I bet that, Amy, you have fielded many inquiries from people, and certainly Alley Cat Allies has, that one of the main things that happens is people discover a mother cat with her kittens in their shed, under the porch, Absolutely. under the wood pile. And, so, and, that, and in fact, one day the phone rang, it was my mother. Uh-huh. And she started to tell me about a mother cat and kittens in her backyard. She'd never seen any cats in her neighborhood. Well, certainly somewhere a half a block or a block away was a col- small colony of cats. And this mother cat, when they become pregnant, they eventually, its gestation is two months, and they start to look for a place to have their litter that's a safe place underneath her porch. And off, get, naturally, she had four kittens and one mother cat. Well, she carried out trap to return. She herself, 65 years old, and she got a <laughs> trap, and she found on our Feral Friends Network, she went to the Alley Cat Allies website, and we have... Um, for almost 16 years, we've had what's called a feral friends network. And so there's probably someone in your area 
that you can type in your zip code on our website and you can find a person that's a spay neuter clinic or a person that has a trap to loan to you or a veterinarian. And she found the traps and she found the veterinarians and she carried out the trap neuter return. And so the key here is that we can coexist. We've been, humans have been around cats for, as I said, thousands of years. And um, the key here is to introduce the neutering and to introduce what to do with how those cats can, can coexist, if you will. And one of those things, that there's all kinds of neat little things that, that we have found effective. We were carrying out trap meter return, and we spayed and neutered 400 cats in a residential area in Chantilly, Northern Virginia. And after the cats were returned, and several, about 100, more than 100 of those 400 were kittens that were put into foster care, socialized, and then adopted into homes. So this was a huge, huge residential area. And about four or five people were concerned with the cats on their porch and in their gardens. And we went to them. There was very much ruckus over this. There was very much concern that there was going to be. Now, most people were caring for these cats. Most of the residents wanted them there. A large majority had been caring for them and feeding them for a long time, not only buying the food, but creating shelters for them. And they didn't want any more kittens either, but they wanted to find a way to help those people that you know, didn't want the cats in their garden. So Ali Catalyze went in and worked with those folks who were concerned about this, and this was their issue, and we introduced these humane deterrents and humane repellents. They're non-toxic. And all of these okay. on our website. Go I ahead. Want to talk, yeah, I want to talk about those a little bit, but we do need to take a break, so we'll get back to that in just a moment when we return from these messages from our sponsors. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Greetings, human. What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No. To my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Doc. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> 
We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. We're back and speaking with Becky Robinson of Alley Cat Allies. The ACA works with animal control agencies, shelters, veterinarians, communities, and local governments to help them toward community-based approaches, including trap, neuter, return. It also promotes and advises on affordable spay and neuter, as well as humane education on on how outdoor cats and humans can coexist in harmony. Before the break... Becky was telling us a little bit about some of these things that uh, you can do to help feral cats become good neighbors. I also wanted to address, though, a lot of folks will talk about what we, we mentioned that, you know, shelter is not a good option for these guys because they're going to end up being euthanized. But in the past, we've been doing kind of the extermination, catch and kill kinds of things and why I want Becky also to address why that's not a good idea how that's not really a successful thing so maybe talk about that first and then let's get into how cats can become good neighbors and we can help them do that welcome back to the program and why is the catch and kill kinds of things besides being you know just nasty thing to think about I mean we don't want to treat cats as vermin specifically but how why is that not an effective way to handle the feral cats? Well, I think that the public knows. I think your listeners are certainly aware of the fact that if there is an area of cats, they've certainly heard about, you know, a trap and round up and remove. And when those cats, and again, let's keep in mind that it's not just unsocialized cats that are entering shelters. It's, you know, whatever cat enters shelters, the likelihood of them being adopted is very, very slim. Seventy percent of all cats that are taken in are killed. They do not go into homes. And so, this whole process of, that we've all known of is removing these cats, you know, catching and trapping and removing them. It creates what's called a vacuum. And this vacuum is, is just, is, is, is just almost like it sounds is that you're removing this group of animals. So it's not really a matter of removing, of having that choice of removing the cats. It's a choice of removing these cats that are going to be killed and more cats moving in. So there's going to be all over the country. We know that there are 82 million cats in households and scientists estimate that there's could be as many feral cats, you know, out, outdoor cats. So if we're looking at millions, you know, upwards of 80 million cats living in our towns, in our suburbs, in our cities, all over around humans are, then chances are that when those, that group of cats is removed, another group, even if it's one or two, are going to move in and take advantage of that area. Now, they can take advantage of shelter and food, even if people aren't putting out food, because we generate, you know, millions of tons of trash a year. Humans, right. you know, and we all know that from our fast food, from our garbage, from, from everything. So, if this had worked, if this was something that really truly worked, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation because we have known that our animal control pounds and our shelters and pest control have been trapping and removing cats for decades. Also, I wanted to mention uh, a lot of communities around the country now are making lots of noise about these uh, so-called mandatory spay-neuter ordinances that they seem to think is going to help with this problem. And is that a cause and effect there? I mean, these ferals, if they're being you know, trapped, neutered, returned, they aren't adding to that problem. 
Well, in fact, that is something that we just recently posted kind of a fact sheet on our website about the spay and neuter issue because we all want, you want and I want, everybody that I know wants spay and neuter. But then when you kind of look at the whole mandatory, then it's kind of, wait, wait a minute. It sounds kind of like a logical thing on one hand, but it's really a bit irrational. And here's why, because more than 80% of cats and households are spayed and neutered. And when it comes to the most recent research that we have available, we know that out of all of the millions of cats that are living outdoors, less than 3% are neutered. So a law, when you put a law into place, it's written for humans. And last I checked, um, my cat cannot read books and read English. And it's, <laughs> you know, not driving, has not gotten a driver's license that I know of. You know, maybe driving when I'm not there during the day when I'm at work. But uh, she is at home, and I'm the responsible party. But when you have a cat outside that's feral and it's not responsible to a person, it's essentially then therefore unowned. So when we're writing laws, we're writing for a person, for an owner, not for a population of animals that then doesn't, you know, attach to to a person somewhere or person somewhere. So what is needed, though, I mean, the, the good news about this is not that these laws will help, but the good news is there are things that will help. And those things are incentive-based programs to where there are programs that are low cost or no cost or incentive based that are promoting a program to where you get some kind of benefit that you're you're encouraged to spay and neuter but in this case with the feral cats that those that are not stray and feral because clearly strays were with humans at one time but they're not now but in the case of stray and feral cats we need programs that are subsidized spay and neuter programs that are are very very effective, thought through a way to carry out these programs. And, and that's what we want and that's what we encourage and promote. Okay, so we were, let's get back to then people and ferals can coexist. And you were giving us a, a specific example. You said you have some really great tips on the website. What are some things that help with people maybe accepting their furry neighbors a little better and the cats reciprocating and not being such nuisances. Yeah, now everything I'm going to talk about, but even more of what I won't be able to touch on is at alleycat.org and they're, they are called, referred to as deterrence and repellents. So let's say that you have a garden and, you know, what do cats like to do? They like to dig in freshly you know, soft dirt that you have just plowed up and you've probably even put your compost or something on to make your flowers grow right and your vegetables. And that's where they go to dig. They don't go over to the corner where the grass is, where it's a hard ground. And so in order to keep them out of your garden, there's all kinds of different things. For example, you can put chopsticks, you know, you can find chopsticks of your neighbors that haven't, you know, have ordered Chinese food and not used all the chopsticks. Maybe you have them. Very simple things that you can put into the ground, and then it, they don't like that. They don't like the feel of the chopsticks. Or if you have carpet runner and you turn it upside down, you can buy carpet runner at the five and dime store and turn it upside down to where the spi- little soft rubbery spikes are up. And again, that's just going to like, you know what? I don't like this. I'm going to have to go elsewhere. And so there's all kinds of things like that that you can do. Coffee grounds things that are going to deter or repel them. At the same time, we really encourage people to find a place because cats are going to eliminate. And if you are the caregiver or if you're not the caregiver, but you can talk to the caregiver, you can actually set up to what I've done because I have a colony, a small colony in our neighborhood that I take care of. And they, we actually create an area where we put fresh mulch all the time out, like two or three or four times a year. And that's where they go. That's where they eliminate. Ah. 
So and essentially, so, you would create a, an outdoor litter box. That's exactly right. So once you've done that, then there's then there's other things that people are concerned about. Maybe they're coming up onto an area, you know, under your porch or on your porch, and there's devices like that you can purchase that are called Cat Stop, and it's battery operated, and the cat walks in front of it, and it makes a sound that the cat hears that's unpleasant, but you can't even hear it. It's a very high pitched ultrasonic sound, and the same the same motion detector um, concept is applied with what's called the Scarecrow. And you can hook right. it up during the warm, the summer months, and it shoot, it, when the cat walks in front, the hose is attached, and it sets off the hose for like two or three seconds. And, you know, when you're talking about behavior modification, that certainly, Amy, I think you know more about than I do, you don't, it's not a permanent thing that you keep up. It's basically modifying that cat's behavior to know, you know what, this is unpleasant. I'm not supposed, I don't like it here. I'm, I'm going to stop coming around the backyard. So maybe in two weeks, you don't need to have the scarecrow up anymore, the hose attached to this. Um, some people actually are concerned about the cats getting up on their car. They're just not really fond of that. And we found a place where you can get online, you can get car covers, decent car covers for not very much money. And when we were talking earlier about in this area in Northern Virginia, we actually purchased about four different, for four different people, car covers for their cars. And, you know, when all was said and done with this kind of um, mediation and talking with them and listening to them because, you know, as you said, they're concerned about things. And if the comeback is kind of like, well, you know, cats are going to be cats, they're not going to be happy with that answer. And so we wanted to go and listen to them and find out what we could do for them. And whatever that particular situation was, whether they needed a car cover or they needed the cat stop or the chopsticks in their garden, whatever it was, then we could implement that. And as a result, those people are very happy with the cats. And actually, when we come and check on the cats and, and check on on the community, those individuals that were once very unhappy are actually coming out and greeting us going, you know, everything's working out really well. Thanks a lot. So the main thing is, is that they know that you're addressing this because, as you said, they're making calls or they're making comments and nobody is doing anything about it. So you have to do something. And you might have to try right. different things. And that's why you can go to alleycat.org and find out more ideas that I have not talked about. Right, and, and as with behavior modification with cats, I mean, it's basically you need to find, well, why is the cat doing this? And then give him, make the illegal target uncomfortable and the legal target that you provide something that is irresistible and so much better than the cat could have had in the past. So in my area, if you have pine trees, get pine cones and put those, scatter those in your garden. That's a really great way to work. I love the um, the scarecrow. There's also one called the garden ghost that works on the same principle. Premier Pet Products is a really nice company that has humane deterrence uh, for both cats and dogs. I mean, these work for dogs. Too, So there are some ways to deal and rather, as Becky says, rather than becoming adversarial in your hopes to help the feral cats, have a meeting of the minds. I mean, we all want the same things. People aren't out there yelling about cats and wanting to, you know, absolutely get rid of them because they're mean, nasty people, but they want to protect their property too. So if you have a meeting in the minds, you all come together and Look at it from the standpoint you're not only helping these creatures, you're also probably saving money in the long run because it's a lot more cost-effective to manage these colonies than to 
try to eliminate them and then have it go on and on and on forever. Is that is that not something that Alley Cat Allies has discovered that there is a cost savings in terms of money to communities if they implement some of these TNR programs? Well, certainly there are areas in the country, uh, Riverside, Missouri is one of them, where they did not have, they, they recognized that there were cats in different, in different neighborhoods and different parts of the, the town. And they actually briefly looked into whether or not they would hire someone that would just simply be doing nothing but trapping and removing. And then they'd have to have a contract to take the cat somewhere because they didn't have a pound. And it was during that research that they discovered a trap to return group, a local group in Kansas City. And it's several women, but two core women that, that started this group and have organized dozens of volunteers. And they went in and they worked with Riverside. And as a result, their entire program, their entire quote-unquote animal control program is trap to return. And they have found that that is the approach. And, and the people also that were very concerned, the bulk of the residents did not want the cats trapped and removed and killed. So they felt it was unethical. It was not something that they wanted to support. And they would have, they were very much going to balk at that concept if that was something that was the town was going to adopt. And so they all got behind this and they actually set up. I mean, the one good thing about the clinics is that there can be what we call these MASH clinics. So there can be a veterinary setting, a, a, a sterile surgical setting, but the whole setup can be done in a MASH way, meaning that they can treat like a hundred cats in a day. And you, you can bring in two or three veterinarians who are trained in the surgery. And so that's what they did. They carried this out. It was very effective. And, you know, they're not the only ones. I mean, this is, this is all over the country. And again, we just really encourage folks to go to alleycat.org and find the events in their area on National Feral Cat Day, find a feral friend, and get involved. I mean, you can learn about this. There's probably workshops, or you can volunteer at a clinic. Let us know what, what you want to do, because there's educational material on our website, and there's workshops out in probably in your neck of the woods. Well, we are out of time, but I would like to thank my guest, Becky Robinson of Alley Cat Allies, and the producers for making Pet Peeves possible. Tune in next week for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio to hear more about what hisses you off. You can also email me suggestions or post a note to my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. For free behavior and care tips, check out the new Pet Peeves newsletter available from Shajai.com. Folks, the next time you see a furry waif at that dumpster, maybe you can make a difference. Now you know where you can find resources to help the ferals in your community. What are you going to be doing on October 16th? After all, these are kissing cousins of that purring feline that shares your pillow. Besides, you don't want them to get peeved. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.